That was tremendous. Jesus Christ is alive, and we are here to celebrate and shout that good news to others. Please open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible but would like to follow along, grab one there in the bench in front of you. Acts chapter 4. Hey, last week, Palm Sunday, I showed you the eastern gate of Jerusalem. The ancient gate is directly underneath this, this modern gate. In Acts 3, we read that just outside this gate was a crippled man. And every day his friends carried him to the steps outside the gate. And every day he begged for money. Can you picture it? He was crippled from birth. He never took one step in his life and he was over the age of 40. But in Acts 3, Peter and John are on their way into the temple to preach and pray, and this crippled man catches their attention, and he asks Peter and John for money, for alms. Peter says, silver and gold have I none. Typical answer from a preacher, I'm broke. <laughs> I'm broke. I don't have any money. Sorry. Peter didn't give him any money, but he gave him something better. He says, I don't have any money, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand in the next slide and lifted him up. Now, what is amazing that happened next, the man began to leap and jump and walk and praise God. He actually walked into the temple with them. They were all filled with wonder. They were all filled with amazement because they all knew he couldn't walk. They had, they had seen him begging for months. Maybe they had seen him begging for years. But now he can walk Amen. because of resurrection power. Would you please stand with me as I read to you our text from Acts chapter 4, and that is the background of, to what happens in this chapter. Acts chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And when they laid hands on them and put them in hold, put them in jail, unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Let your eyes drop down to verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner." Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. May we pray. Father, I pray that, I pray that 
you would help us all to understand that there's coming a day that we will stand before the living Lord Jesus as Savior or as judge. And Father, I pray for each Christian that is here today that we would so live our lives that we will hear from him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And yet we know that we can't hear that unless we do something and we do it well. Father, I pray that if, if anyone who doesn't know you as Savior would stand before him as judge, may they know that they will receive justice. But Father, I pray, I pray that the grace of God would come upon them today and that they would beg your mercy, your forgiveness, believe and receive the living Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. The best escape artist of all time was Harry Houdini. Born in Budapest in 1874, raised in Wisconsin. His dad was a Jewish rabbi. Some of you may have never heard of him, but he was the sensation of his time. It seemed there was no way to imprison Harry. They would put him in the best jails, and out he came. They would put handcuffs on him, but they seemed to fall away. They would sew him up in a canvas bag, and he would come out. They would rivet him in huge milk cans, and out he would come. He would be welded in boilers, and out he would come. Uh, they put him in this steel chest, upside down, and locked it, and out he came. They put him in a coffin with chains around that coffin, and then they dumped the coffin into the river, and an hour later, he would come out. Some thought he had supernatural powers. He had the flexibility of an octopus. He had the mind of a genius. He had the lives of a cat. Journalist Fulton Osler, his biographer, said, this man could escape from anything but our memories. On October 1926, Harry Houdini died. He could not escape death. He had a, experimented with contacting the dead, you know, clairvoyants and mediums and fortune tellers and palm readers, and he felt that they were all fakes. He spent a great deal of time exposing them, even testifying before Congress, attempting to outlaw mediums from our country. They hated him, but he still wondered, can anyone escape death? He told his wife he would try and contact her after he died. He gave her a secret code word and said, on my birthday, I will try and contact you. Be ready for contact to hear the word. So she would light a candle on his birthday and sit before a table with his picture on it. The first year, he did not contact her, nor the second year, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth. On the tenth year, she extinguished the candle and never tried again. Old death held Harry Houdini. He could not escape. Unless he's calling right now, Brian, I'm not sure. <laughs> it wasn't, what's the secret code? <laughs> Some things you just can't plan. 
He did not escape death. He did not contact Bess. He did not contact uh, Brian. <laughs> but you know, there's another one who died, and he did escape death. And we're all here today to celebrate that he escaped death. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ has resurrection power. He died upon the cross, not, not for his sins. He died for our sins. They placed his body in a tomb, and he stayed there for three days. And on Sunday morning, he arose victorious, and he walked out like a butterfly bursting from a cocoon. Jesus came out of the tomb, leaving the grave clothes behind, and today he is a risen Savior. He did, what, he did what Harry could not do. He displayed God's power by his resurrection. And God's power is on display. I want you to see that this morning. God's power is on display in an empty tomb. I've been there, and many of you have been there as well. You see, what separates Christianity from all of the other religions in the world, it, it, it's this. It's right here. It's an empty tomb. Is the empty tomb evidence that we love and serve a living and risen Savior? Not everybody sees it that way, do they? How else could the tomb be empty? Well, there are only three possibilities, and I'd like to share that with you for just a moment today. His enemies stole the body. That is a possibility. But that makes no sense, because as soon as the disciples preached the resurrection, what would the enemies do? They would... They would produce the body, debunking their message. So clearly, the enemies of Christ did not steal the body. How could the tomb be empty? Well, secondly, and very popular among unbelievers, is his disciples hid the body. They took the body, and they hid the body of Jesus. Well, this makes no sense. Some say the disciples took the body of Jesus out of the tomb, and then they lied about his resurrection. People are still telling this false story today. Were the disciples lying? Were the disciples trying to deceive everybody? If so, why? Why would they lie? You see, people lie to get something. People lie to look good. People lie to gain something. And so we have to ask the question, what did the disciples gain? If it was a lie, how did the lie affect them? Well, because of this lie, they were persecuted. Because of this lie, they were tortured. Because of this lie, they were imprisoned. Because of this lie, they were stoned. Because of this lie, they were impaled uh, upon stakes uh, and, and uh, burned with fire. Because of this lie... Wild beasts like lions tore them apart. Because of this lie, they were martyred. That, that's not why people lie. I want you to look at the box there in your notes. People tell lies to get out of trouble. They don't tell lies to get into trouble. Many people may live for a lie, but very few die for a lie, if they know it's a lie. Now, the disciples, they said, we saw him. We touched him. We heard him speak. No, these disciples did not die for a lie. They did not take the body and hide it. They suffered and died because they believed the truth. So how, how could the tomb be empty? 
If it wasn't the enemies and it wasn't the disciples, letter C there, Jesus arose from the dead. He arose from the dead. You have heard me mention Lee Strobel, an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune, an atheist who became a Christian. Last year, Pure Flix did a movie called The Case for Christ. You know, it would be a great gift uh, for doubters, uh, for skeptics. I invite them to watch it with you. Let me introduce to you Lee Strobel. smirked at the fact that Easter this year falls on April Fool's Day. Because back then, I thought that anyone would have to be a fool to think that Jesus literally rose from the dead. One day, my wife gave me the news that she'd become a Christian. And so I decided to take my journalism training and legal training and debunk the resurrection of Jesus. So I spent two years of my life analyzing the historical data. And what I found really shocked me. I recounted in my book, The Case for Miracles. First of all, I found that there's no dispute among scholars that Jesus was dead after being crucified. Uh, the famous atheist New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludeman, says it's historically indisputable that he was dead. The Journal of the American Medical Association says that based on the historical and medical evidence, that Jesus was clearly dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Second, we have early reports of the resurrection of Jesus, reports that come so quickly you can't just write them off as being a legend. In fact, we have one report of the resurrection, including named eyewitnesses, that has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus. Friends, that is historical gold. Third, we have the empty tomb, and I found that even the opponents of Jesus implicitly conceded that the tomb of Jesus was empty. And then fourth, we have nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus. Friends, that is an avalanche of historical data. And then we have seven ancient sources inside and mostly outside the New Testament that confirm that the disciples lived lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. Why were they willing to do that? Because they heard a rumor that he'd risen? No, because they were there. They touched him. They ate with him. They talked with him. They knew the truth. And knowing the truth, they were willing to proclaim it, even despite the suffering they endured. Friends, I spent two years investigating this evidence. And it came down to one day when I reviewed it all, and I thought, you know what? Based on the historical data, my verdict is that Jesus not only claimed to be the Son of God, he backed up that claim by returning from the dead. And that's the moment that I decided to confess my sin, to turn from that, to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased for me on the cross. And at that moment, I became a child of God. Some people have a rush of emotion at that moment. I didn't. You know what I had? I had the rush of reason because the resurrection of Jesus is not some April Fool's Day joke. It is a historical reality based not on mythology or make-believe or wishful thinking, but a solid foundation of historical truth. You know, the Bible does not call us to a blind faith. The Bible calls us to a reasonable faith. 
And Dr. Luke, he wrote his gospel, he wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote them to prove that Christianity is true. You say, to prove it? That's what he said. He wrote that God has given us many infallible proofs, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, to give us assurance of our faith. And so what you have is God's power is on display in an empty tomb. And secondly, God's power is on display with a living Savior. Jesus Christ is alive. And the priests and Sadducees, they, they are upset with the disciples. And so notice in verse 2, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus Christ the resurrection from the dead. I was taught in Bible college that these Sadducees were a, a wealthy, powerful group of Jews uh, who ruled there in Israel, and they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in resurrection. That's why they were sad. You see? <laughs> it was a corny joke 40 years ago, and it still is today. But, man, if you don't have hope in the future, you're going to be sad. You're going to be hopeless. Teacher asked a student, asked the class to write an essay on the greatest living person. Well, one student wrote an essay on Jesus Christ. And the teacher, after reviewing it, said, son, that's a good essay, but I said a living person. The student responded and said, teacher, he is alive. He is alive. That student was wiser, wiser than his teacher. Every liberal preacher who stands in a pulpit today across the country that does not believe in the literal body, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ should quit his job and get an honest job. Author Stu Weber quotes one of these ministers who said about Jesus, his body lies in a nameless Syrian tomb, but his deathless spirit goes marching on. That's a lie. You see, Jesus Christ is alive. And that man is an imposter. That man is a fake. That man is a fraud. We don't put our faith in a dead Messiah. He is declared to be the Son of God. In your notes, you see Romans chapter 1, verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Yes, God's power is on display with an empty tomb. It is on power, uh, his power is on display with the living Savior. And then one more, God's power is on display by changing lives. By changing lives. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Uh, you you've, already seen, you've already seen a man today who is changed by the power of God. Changed by the power of God. The world doesn't know what to do with people like Ronnie, but Jesus Christ does. He loves all of us, and no matter what we have done, he can forgive us. Our, our church theme this year is empowered by his spirit. Empowered by his spirit. What does, what does Easter mean to us? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is inside of every Christian. What a wonderful promise. If we put our faith and our trust that Jesus died for us and that he rose again, he, he forgives our sin, he gives us the gift of eternal life, and, and he begins to change us to become more like Christ. That's transforming power. And Peter looks at these leaders and he says, there's only one way to heaven. Look at verse 12. 
Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You say, you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Oh, I do, because that's the truth. That's the truth. If you believe anything else, then you're, you're believing a lie. And this is what we see here in Acts 4. God's power on display, changing the lives of Peter and John. You have to think back, as Brother Brayson just sang to us, how, how Peter, the night of the arrest, he denied the Lord. The Bible says that he cursed, he swore, I tell you, I know not that man. But after the resurrection, Peter saw Jesus, and you couldn't shut him up. When you're in the presence of Jesus Christ, something happens to you. When God's presence is manifested in your life, it impacts who you are and what you do and how you live. When you put an iron in the fire, it doesn't take long before that iron gets, gets red hot. Not only is the iron in the fire, but the fire is in the iron. Can you see it? When you come to God's house and you come to God's word and you come to God's son, his Holy Spirit gets inside of you and it changes you. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, what was it that made them so bold? What was it that caused these people to marvel? Because they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Oh, you know, we, we need an epidemic of holy boldness. We need Christians who are not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I mean, they are facing the equivalence of the Supreme Court. They're in this grand, magnificent temple. They are country bumpkins. I mean, they're from up north in Galilee. They are fishermen. They should have been there with their, with their heads hanging down, shuffling their feet, and, and kind of embarrassed, not knowing what to say. But they're bold. They're confident. They are assured that they know the truth and that Jesus Christ is alive. Their lives have been changed. They are absolutely uninhibited. They would not shut up. They would not back up. They are preaching Jesus. That's confidence. And if you want to have that kind of confidence, you, you spend some time with Jesus in prayer, in the Word, in church, in Christian fellowship, grow your faith. Look at verse 14. I love verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Proof positive. This man had been crippled since birth. Everybody recognized him. If you're looking, if you're looking for evidence, you'll find it. But if you just choose to reject Jesus Christ, then you will be bound up with a web of lies and confusion and deceit. And so they admit that the miracle is undeniable in verse 15 and 16. Look at verse 22. Uh, For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was done. Uh, they command them not to preach in the name of Jesus in verse 17 and 18. But then look at verse 19. In verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and the things we have heard. A witness. A witness tells what he has seen and heard. Do you know why some of you don't witness? Because you haven't seen anything. You haven't heard anything. 
A person that met the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Christ, you can't shut them up. You can't shut them up. If you're not sharing Jesus Christ, if you're not telling people about Jesus Christ, it may be because you never met him. You see, you must not have seen anything. You must not have heard anything. But you've come to church today and you've heard the word of God, that Jesus Christ is alive. You see, evangelism is not a series of, of meetings that we have. Uh, the early church, they didn't, they didn't have... They didn't have a printing press or TV or radio or buses, uh, tracks. They didn't even have a church building. They had so little, but they did so much. In fact, the Bible says that they turned Jerusalem upside down and inside out. In this chapter, 5,000 uh, come to Christ as Savior. If it's 5,000 men, it's probably 5,000 women and a host of children as well. Let's just get it into our hearts and minds. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Now, if, you're, if your work has policies restricting sharing religious beliefs, then you need to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove, Jesus said. You need to engage coworkers and the appropriate time. It might be on your lunch break. It might be that you take them out for coffee after work. Uh, it might be that you just have the love and joy of Jesus Christ and that when they get into their trial, they will want to come and talk to you because of what you have. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, God's power is on display. It's on display with an empty tomb and a living Savior. It's on display by changed lives. The resurrection power, you know, it's not just about the present, but it's also about the future. Jesus took, he took the gloom out of the grave, the stinger out of death. He gives us the promise of heaven. If the Lord Jesus Christ does not return in our lifetime, then we will take our turn. And one day there will be a funeral service for you and for me. And people, people will come and they'll say, you know, I, I used to know him. I used to know her. But he's gone. She's gone. Gone? 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 Gone where? Do you know where you're going? Do you have confidence and assurance and peace in your heart that heaven is your home? Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know for sure? Albert Einstein was a genius. Time Magazine didn't call him man of the year. Time magazine called him man of the century. Albert Einstein knew so much. But he was absent-minded like, like many even today. Once Albert Einstein boarded a train from Princeton and the conductor came to punch the ticket and Einstein couldn't find his ticket. You know, he, he, he looked in his vest, he looked in his pockets and he looked in his briefcase and, and he was distressed that he could not find his his ticket. And the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know you bought a ticket. I know who you are, Dr. Einstein. Don't worry. Everything is fine. And so the conductor continued down the aisle and, and continued to, to do the tickets. And, and then he looked back. He heard a disturbance. And he looked back. And there is, there is Dr. Einstein on his knees. And he's looking underneath the seat 
trying to find his ticket. And, and so the conductor, he, he walks back and he says, Sir, it's all right. Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. And Dr. Einstein said, and I know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> Do you know where you're going? God created you a living soul that will live somewhere forever. Do you know where you're going? Do you have confidence? Do you have assurance that heaven is your eternal home? Are you sure that your sins are completely forgiven? Or are you living with doubt? Are you sure that Jesus Christ is in your heart and life? It is impossible for us to go to heaven with sin on our heart. Impossible. When Jesus died on that cross, he, he took our place. He paid our penalty. And the penalty was hell to give us the gift of eternal life. When you ask Jesus to become your Lord and Savior, he gives you new life. He gives you spiritual life. Do you have it? He gives you eternal life. If you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior, call upon him today. In your notes there, trust him today. Begin to follow him today because you cannot escape death without Jesus Christ in your heart. May we pray. Our Father, today we, we rejoice that not only is Jesus Christ alive, but he is he is coming again. And I pray, Father, that each one here today might take this Easter time of celebration and rejoicing and make it a time of thanksgiving for all that you have done for us. But, Father, now I pray for those, maybe they're doubters, maybe they're skeptics, maybe they're deniers. Lord, you brought them here for this moment to hear the truth that God loves the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever that believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. May the Spirit of God convict and draw and bring them to the cross. How many of you here today, you, you would say, I know for certain that heaven is my home because there was a time in my life that I put my faith and trust in Christ, and I am born again I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a Christian. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you raise your hand if that's you today? All over. I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. You may put your hands down. Not everyone could. Thank you for your honesty. I ask you today, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? Would you like to make the choice to become a true Christian? You say, how do I do that? The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You do that by, by praying, by asking, by believing. And if you'd like to, to do that today, you can do what I did many years ago and pray right in your seat, right where you are. You can pray from your heart sincerely. You can even pray silently. God will hear the prayer of your heart. Would you pray with me right now? If you're not sure that heaven is your home, and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, pray with me right now where you're seated. Dear God, I know that you love me. I know that you want to save me. 
I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. I trust you as Savior. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. Now with our heads bowed, did you ask him? Did you ask him? If you did, then thank him. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I don't deserve it, but I receive it by faith like a child. You're now my Lord and my Savior and my friend. And Lord Jesus, because you died for me, help me to live for you and not be ashamed of you. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if you, if you just prayed with me, I'd like to pray for you. Would you simply raise your hand all over? I ask the Lord to become my Savior. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just hold it up high. God bless you. Anyone else? So I can see you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. The greatest day of your life is the day to receive God's free gift. Father, now I pray, I pray for these folks all over this auditorium that have called upon your name. I pray that you'll give them a peace that passes all understanding, that they will know that they know that heaven is their home because Jesus Christ is in their heart. May they not be ashamed to share what they have seen and heard. Now, Father, I pray for each Christian. I pray that we would not leave this place thinking it's just another Easter Sunday. No, no. We are one day closer to the return of our Lord. Father, help us to live each day shining your light, shining your glory, showing your love and care for others, that even a cup of cold water given in your name, pointing people to you to be saved. Help us. Help us, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand together, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation today as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. It is a public invitation hymn. You have the opportunity to re respond. You can come down to this altar and, and you can pray. Maybe you want to pray for someone else. Maybe you want to speak to a pastor about baptism or about how to go to heaven. Maybe you want to see these promises for yourself, whatever the decision, to become part of the church family. Whatever the decision, you come as we all sing this testimony song, I've decided to follow Jesus.